La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou, 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 font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding, ding, ding. Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum. Tout avec lui dit boum. Et c'est la. Hey, bonjour, rugby friends. And welcome to a new episode of French Rugby Connections. With moi, Véronique Landieu, and. And from me, it's Mike Pierce. How are you, Mike? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. Just trying to keep up with all the COVID news from France, isn't it? It's like a soap opera this week. It is. Is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? I was interviewed by BBC World War Service, you know, regarding my opinion. So my, my answer was very much less weight on the 50-50. But they had some good players to replace. So France is, a, is full of, uh, of talents. And and yourself, you were interviewed on BBC Scotland. Yes, yeah. Of course, they they put subtitles because I was speaking, but I think <laughs> I think I got away with it just about. <laughs> Your Welsh accent is not bad. Come on, give me a good strong Welsh accent. Say something now. Oh well, I don't. Whose coat is this jacket? That's that's one of the stock phrases. <laughs> Sounds like Nigel <laughs> or Jiffy. Anyway, we're not going to get there <laughs> because I've got a strong French accent, so I should be laughing. I got a really good chat for rugby winner from 2003 this week. Okay, shall I give you a few clues? Yes, go on then. Okay, so he was capped 57 times. Okay. And he scored 31 tries. 31 tries, time. okay. And, and he's a very good dancer. Oh, I... Austin Healy. <laughs> Austin Healy, that's a good, good try. Oh, you could have said Matt Dawson. Yeah. But no, somebody who played in, in France. Ben Cohen. That's hey. it, is the one. So, <laughs> really nice guy. I hope you will enjoy. He's doing some great stuff with his foundation stand-up against bullying and homophobia. So, I hope you will enjoy his memories and other good stories. A very deep and moving and entertaining chat. Hello. Ready to yeah. go on a ride? Seatbelt uh, on, yes? Yeah, we're all on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hello, Ben. Ben Cohen. How are you this morning? Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. Just counting the days till we can come out of lockdown. You bet. You bet. I can't wait until life is back to normal. But in the meantime, let's talk rugby and your life. And, you know, I, I, I keep pinching myself. Two weeks ago, I spoke with your former teammate, Ian Bolshaw. Mm-hmm. And the last week it was Dan Lugar, so third time lucky. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean they were they were big components really of, of, of mine, you know, both world class players and really quick. But that we, we competed against each other for for many years and so yeah, but we, we ultimately were on the same team when we won the World Cup, which is which is fantastic. Great great people, good guys. Yes, but let's talk about your achievement, Ben. You are way too modest. So, in uh, you were capped 57 times. Your first yeah. game was on the 5th of February 2000 when you played against Ireland. And I believe uh, the debutants were Mike Tindall and Ian Bashaw. Mm -hmm, that's right, yeah. And you had so the you got capped on the same day, yeah. 
Yes, great memory and great celebration afterwards from what I read in your book at the Hilton. Yeah, that, although it's hard to believe that Mike Tyndall is now part of the royal family, I have to say. That was uh, that uh, even made that day and playing alongside someone now in the royal family is, is quite funny. I know, and you know what? Since uh, Prince Harry no longer heads the RFU, and I was thinking the other day, what about Mike Tyndall? <laughs> that would mm. be fun. <laughs> I, would, I never thought of that. That would be funny. <laughs> that would be funny. The irony, the irony. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So really good ungun career. And during that time, you scored 31 tries. And But let, let, let's go back from the start. So you were born on the 14th of September 1978 in Northampton. You went to Kingsthorpe Upper School, which wasn't really a rugby college. And at the age of 12, however, you started uh, getting to rugby. So uh, why rugby and not football? Because I have to mention it, of course, Ben, you have some football pedigree in your veins. Who was your uncle? Yeah, George, George Cohen, he won the 1966 Football World Cup. But we also have another world champion in the family. He's a world champion boxer, bare-knuckle fighter. And wow. um, he, he was 1902, but it sort of skips generations. The reason why I got into rugby was by complete accident. I, I went to state schools, so non-private schools where, you know, when I was uh, younger, rugby was not professional, but it was also an elitist sport. So it was really only played in private schools and grammar schools. And so I... The school that I went to, it was a, it was a, was called Kingsort Middle School, and it basically on on Saturdays would would do the game teacher off off his own back, a guy called Mister Allen would would put rugby games on, and people would come and 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 partake. At that particular time, I I just moved back from living in Spain actually, and I I remember staying at a friend's house on a on a on a Friday night, and he was playing on a Saturday, and and I got. I had to go and watch him play. And, and when I moved back from Spain, they, they got my dates of birth mixed up. They put me as a 77 baby instead of a 78. So I was put in a year above. And they didn't notice this until my last year of school. So I was right. a year above for my, pretty much most of my schooling. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in that, you know, that... 12 years old you know these boys you know they're you know further advanced down down the line of going through maturity getting mature and having the change and you know these these guys are a lot bigger than me but I went I went along to watch and they didn't have enough numbers they didn't have enough players so (laughs) I got asked to ask to play I didn't want to play I had no really no choice I was only a young kid at that point so I got sent to lost property and I had old socks on odd boots different shorts and then obviously <laughs> the same the same colored top but i mean if you would have seen that kid then if you would have if you would have seen him come out of that room thinking you know that guy <laughs> that guy's going to win a world cup for england <laughs> and well now third try third highest try score of england of all time you would have thought not in your life would that's going to happen and, and then I went up to, we had a three-tier system in school. So I, I, I went to an upper school 
and we I saw a notice on a school board that that was having an open day down my junior club rugby. So mm-hmm. it's called the old scouts and me, Steve Thompson, where they're Courtney Laws, Dylan Hartley. You know, we we all we all went to this club, and and you know, I I I loved it. I loved not I loved rugby. It was good fun rugby, but. I, I became friends with a, with a lot of these, you know, from all different backgrounds, and, and we're still friends today. In fact, I I see them pretty much, you know, weekly, and you know, we go my motorbiking or we catch up in the garden for, you know, bonfire or something like that. Especially down in lockdown because we live close by. So yeah, I mean, it's I made friends for life, and that's what the ability of a of a team sport, especially at junior level, you know, absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with you. Yes, yeah, yeah. like friends for life, and I believe you. You mentioned your Dylan Hartley and others, but Matt Dawson started uh, or started playing with you. No, 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 he didn't. No, Dawson was. This is a lot older than me. I just started incredibly young, so I, I had the crossover of these guys, you know, from a, a different generation, really. And I sort of, I when I I came across Dawson really around ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven. Man, he'd already established himself. He was in England, and whatnot. He'd already won a World Cup in, in the sevens, you know. They, so they they were all pretty much established. He's not from Northampton. He's from Marlow, you know, Henley, Henley on. And 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 so yeah, it was. So he's a different, but uh, a different age. But he was he was kind of my mentor, which was good. You know, Dorse was 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 great to have around and, and kept your feet on the ground. Yes, and when you were seventeen, you joined Northampton Saints. And yeah, you I mean, your... I made my debut at seventeen. I joined the Saints probably around about fifteen, sixteen, and I. I suppose we've got their attention, not really for any skill sets. I wasn't really a skillful player, but I could, I had a, I was very quick and I was, I, I had, I could score tries and, and that pretty much was, was, you know, I've got the eyes and ears and, and I sort of rose through the ranks pretty quickly and made my debut nearly just before pretty much my 18th birthday. Amazing. And which coach did uh, inspire you? You know, I, I, I get asked this question a lot, not just about inspiration of, of coaches or, you know, what's the best part, you know, what's the group, your, your best achievement. And you set yourselves a goal to, to achieve each step in your rugby or work or wherever it may be. And, you know, those steps can be monumental to the, you know, con- contributing factor of you reaching the great heights within sport or business or whatever it may be. And, you know, the, these, these, these steps that I made when I was younger, the coaches and people with influence around you then have a massive impact. And if not a bigger impact on, on a coach that may be maybe guided a person to to win a big trophy etc so you know there's many moments in, in in my career that you know where people keep you on the straight and narrow and keep you interested interested in the game but you know don't forget you know early on in these careers you know in a sporting career it's about the enthusiastic parent and the parent running you around and sacrificing you know so if it wasn't for that of all the parents and the coaches then I would never have been really interested but if we're going into the the professional era and and looking at you know names and and you know coaches that are established then 
Yeah, Ian McGeekin. So Ian McGeekin, massive impact on my career and many others. Wayne Smith, Clive Woodward. You know, Wayne, you know, Wayne Smith was probably the exception to the rule of, of all three of these these coaches. You know, Wayne had the ability to, to make an average player good, a good player great, a great player internationals and an international player is world class. He had great attention to detail. You know, he looked at each component. And, and guided you through that with your skill set, your attitude, your approach, you know, everything. And, and he made he had the ability to make people overachieve. And uh, he, he was a massive impact on my career after I'd made, made my debut for England and I played for England. He really got me up to the next level. And so, you know, he, he, was, he was very good and, and managed to, I mean, I mean he he basically saved my career because my dad got murdered. My dad got beaten to death for protecting someone. And I went off the rails. I saw my mum try to commit suicide twice. And so it was, you know, it was it was tough time to me. I was 21 years old, 22. And, you know, I I was turning up to training. You know, I wasn't really being, which is understandable. I wasn't really contributing to, to the team at all. And everyone was obviously treading on eggshells. And he actually, he called me into the office after a while and said, look, you know, I, I've got I've got a very difficult job to do. And, and that is, uh, I'm going to, you're either going to leave here with or without a job. And, you know, I'm here to help you. I'll pick you back up on the tracks and, and point in the right direction. Or we can, or, or you can leave without, without sort of trying to put anything right. Or, you know, play sport again. So I redefined my goals or we redefined my goals, which was to become the best player in the world in my position to win a World Cup. And which we did, which was a big words, which is it's a big goal. You know, you know talk's cheap, as you as you well know. And, and, you know, I had to I had to reapproach. I'd gone from the England team. I dropped out of that or got dropped or got dropped from the Saints team. And I'd gone to, I had to, I had to get all my places back. And it wasn't a bad place to be because the only way was up really. And I need, I'd lost the father figure, I'd lost the cornerstone of the family. So it was, it was nice to have some guidance and someone helping. And so I, you know, I, I, I was the first into training, was the last out of training. I made sure that I would study all of my opponents and like what was there, what my opposite player would do, which their favourite foot to step off you know, dominant hand to pass. Are they good in, in the tackle? Are they dominant in the tackle? What are they like with the ball in behind them? The key players, what are they like? How many steps do they take in to take a kick? Or, you know, try and get an edge and, and educate myself about the opposition and, and and really give me a lot more armory to my game. And I've got my Saints place back. I've got my I've got my England place back and I'm and, and got on that plane to 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 win the World Cup and subsequently achieved becoming the best winger in the world, which I did for about four or five years, and then obviously winning a World Cup. So um, I achieved my goals, but really I needed guidance. and I had a lot of anger and pain that I needed channeling. So yeah, and I needed someone to help with that. So you felt that rugby was um, a, a good channel to to expand your, your anger, your frustration, and find so, uh, solace, I suppose, after the traumatic experience you've yeah, absolutely. With the with your father. Yeah, absolutely. And the guys were there to support you, I suppose, and Clive Woodward and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, Clive. You know, Clive created an environment for people to to go and thrive in. You know, Clive. You know, got the best. You know, 
Clive was a businessman. Clive knew how to, he needed time with the England team to, to, to go out and to what he had to put in place, the culture he wanted to create, pushing the boundaries of the game. And that take that, that took, you know, the right environment, the right hotel, the right pitches, the right kit, the, the, the coaches, uh, you know, who were at the top of the game at the time. And we had to, you know, we had to sort of amalgamate all these people together, basically, to, to obviously try and win a, a World Cup because they went out in obviously in France in '99, not nowhere near getting where they should have really been at that particular time with the, with the team that I had. Yes, and the highlights of your career, Stu, was lifting first your Highness Ken Cup with Saints in 2000, was it? Winning the Heineken Cup was 2000. Yeah, that was it, again. It was it, that was an amazing year. That I mean, that really just tapped off uh, an amazing career for me. And I, it was very enjoyable. Yeah, it was a very hard season, but what amazing players that around us. It was it was incredible. How did you feel when you represented England? You know, singing the national anthem and yeah, I mean, it's the whole the whole thing's very surreal, really. You know, you 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 you. I I believe that if you're if you can play you know sport for fun, yes, but if you want to take it seriously, then you then you you know you aim for. You know, you shoot for the stars, and and you want to you want to you you want to play at the highest level you can. And and for me, you know, playing for England was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to emulate what my uncle had achieved. And you know, that putting the, the you know that shirt on, the whole experience of running out to a packed house at Twickenham was was unbelievable. I mean, you can't explain that feeling. You, you you know it's it's incredible but and to, and to score two tries on your on in your first game for England was was a dream come true that was pretty good <laughs> congratulations <laughs> brilliant do you remember playing against les bleus around that I, era because they were quite tough actually they were quite good yeah i, I remember playing against france pretty much every time i, I you know i played against them you know that the, you know the thing about the french is is you know i, I you, when you lived there like i did You you, um, you you experience a different type of French person and, and, and they were lovely and they're very, you know, passionate about their rugby and they're very into it. But I also see why they can be so unpredictable and, you know, be world-class, world-beaters one week and then the following week and you, you'd think, you know, be the complete opposite and think they can't string a pass together, you know, which is not only is it frustrating playing in that, because I've been obviously played in France, but it, it's it's very unpredictable to also play against them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, one of my tough, my toughest components was Rougerie, tough player. He was, yeah, and he's tall and he had this big inside step. I had some really good battles with him and, you know, he had a great uh, career at Claremont and, you know, he's obviously a bit of a local legend or national legend, which is great. You know, he was, he deserves every part of that. Then he obviously started then the inward slide to centre and, and made a, a, a career there as well. So, you know, that he showed that he had a great skill set. For the really important game that counted in 2003 when you played in the semi-final against France, you know, the weather was absolutely dreadful, torrential rain, so it was very bad day for, for the French, but great day for you. But uh, you, you, you did it. You won against the, the the French. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a bit drizzly, and you know, we woke up that morning and looked at open the curtains and go, well, the French won't want to play in this. Full stop. 
and and <laughs> and, and that and it's sad it, and, and i you know it, it's laughable but sad and it's very you know it's the fact that yeah they won't want to turn up with this they won't want to no, no we, we've got this game it's our game to lose and and you know betson scored an early try and caught us by uh, a bit by a surprise and at that point we're like hold a minute maybe they have turned up <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and but and it was a close game and it's always a tough encounter and you know that that you know it's one of probably what the favorite nation i love to play against um for sure for sure look at your work rate ben you played in six games during the world cup yeah And 80 minutes of those as well. One extra time in the World Cup final. I, I actually would have played in all the games, but I pulled my calf at a water park. <laughs> yes, I read that in your yeah. book. What happened? Was it a day off? And you no, well, it was nothing. To... It was just walking up the... They never didn't have any steps. There were ramps, you know, so... Right. And um, so it, was, it was just basically just pulled them on that. It, it wasn't bad. It was just really a bit of a twinge. So I pulled out of the game against Uruguay, which I probably would have scored a few tries, which would probably bumped me up on the on the on the on the all-time scoring list for England. That would probably put me up there then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the score won one one eleven to I forgot, but it was um three, wasn't it? In front of me. Thirteen actually, one one eleven, thirteen, yeah. So it was a very much yeah, a yeah. plethora of <laughs> I don't think I I mean I don't even think no they scored at any point there may be a maybe a penalty or something like that i'm not too sure yeah so and in that squad one thing that really resonated with me was very much the mantra of clive woodward woodward sorry woodward woodward who mentioned who had that teacup stay yeah. cool under pressure how i forgot the acronym uh, uh, no it's it, so actually it was think correctly under pressure Exactly. Yeah. And uh, you definitely use that mantra, and especially, you know, Jono was, wow, such a, such a great leader, such a calm leader. And well, yeah, and... I know. I mean, there's two things with that. Firstly, you know, the, you, you only get that experience when you've experienced it. So, you know, that, that, that England had suffered quite a few losses in crucial times. And cost themselves championships or World Cups and uh, big games like Grand Slams, etc., because they weren't thinking correctly under pressure. And it's internal pressure, not necessarily the the, the pressure that you're getting from the opposition. It's that mindset. If you're having a mm -hmm. game of table tennis, for argument's sake, and you're both on, you know, twenty twenty points each, and you've got to win by two, your mindset. The self-pressure that you put on yourself to win that point, you're not going to flow properly. You're not going to hit the ball properly. And, you know, you, you're, it becomes that mental battle of, you know, why am I so, you know, clogged up? Why am I, you know, put myself under so much pressure when, you know, for the whole of the game, I pretty much flow through it. And it, it, it comes down to experiencing that and then knowing your role and knowing your game. And, and knowing what you're going to do in certain parts of the pitch, it comes down to detail. And, and, and like anything else, if you, if, you're, if you have detail on anything, you genuinely are going to do well and succeed, right? You know your job, you know your role, you know what you've got to do. And, and, that, and that's, what England, that's why England was so, was so good. Mm -hmm. Everyone knew Absolutely. their role. Yes, yes. So uh, 
tell me about the last game, the last, the extra time. Must have been such a heart attack moment. Oh, do you know what? It, it, it's bizarre because we felt, apart from the first try, it really felt like we had dominated that game. And, you know, so many ups and downs. And, and to get into extra time for us is was a bit frustrating but as a showpiece <laughs> as a spectator I mean it was fantastic but to play in it was probably the easy place to be in I mean don't forget like if you look at my uncle George's game back in 66 there's so many comparisons both went into extra time number 10s won the game fly off and Jeff Hurst or Johnny Wilkinson and Jeff Hurst and so there was so many sort of so many parallels to that to that game it was so similar of how both World Cups were won it's yeah it's spooky actually i i agree with you it did resonate a lot with the world cup win in 1966 i, I still think because obviously i'm french it's about time that france uh, wins <laughs> the world cup after being in the final you know three times so i think 2023 should, should be the year so how did you celebrate it must have been such elated moments and uh, grabbing that web ellis and uh, I don't think anyone can train you how to celebrate or, or what it's going to be like when you when you sort of you know reach your peak. Really, you know, you're at the top of that mountain, looking down, and life feels absolutely amazing. You know, you all the hard work that you put in played off. I think the annoying part about it, I mean, it was a fantastic experience, a whole experience, you know, but was the fact that we didn't have any time off after it. You know, the, the next week I was back playing in the Heineken Cup in, in the Nestle in Wales. And, you know, it was it was a shame, but it was uh, so we couldn't have a break. And we all needed a break. You know, the players played yes. to injury. You know, it was uh, it really kind of that finished us off, really. But we still had, you know, three quarters of a season to go and a summer tour. Yes, but however, I heard through the grapevine that Ian Bolshow and Mike Tindall disappeared for 48 hours yeah, after yeah. the win. Yeah, they can do what they like now, can't they? They can do what they like, win a World Cup. Yeah, yeah but um, they had to be on that plane on Monday morning to go home, that was for sure. So, yeah, they had a great time. And it's where, and I think it's where Mike Tindall and Zara met that on that trip. So, um, oh wow, of course, because Brings Harry, yeah, Will and Harry were there. So, I believe I may be wrong, but um, oh, that reminds me of a very funny story, Ben. I have to mention it. Can you tell me first time you met Prince Harry? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, basically, that was after we played Wales, and obviously, we're playing Wales this weekend. But yeah, I've come off the pitch, I played well. We won three from three. We beat France away in Paris the first time for God knows how long. And it was my third cap, and I'd come off the, the pitch pleased with myself. You know, I'd played well, I'd scored a try, set up a try, you know, made all my tackles. You know, I'm thinking, oh, great, I think I should get selected for next week. You sort of go into the into changing room and you sort of debrief the game, you know, with, with your with your teammates. And in this in this instance, I was talking to Will Greenwood, who I sat next to. And I remember Clive showing some young children around the changing room. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, when you win, everyone's in there, you know, and you get all the prize winners and, and things like that. And I remember thinking, oh, I've got to get changed. So I started to get <laughs> unchanged and pulled down my you know, shorts and pants. And I was adjusting myself, as you would, as, a, <laughs> as, a, as any man would know. 
and um, I see these two pairs of feet arrive in front of me, and I'm thinking, oh no! So I've got to meet these two young kids completely naked, cupping my my private part. And uh, I said, well, I better just get it over and done with. So as I've st- as I've sort of because I simply bent over myself to sort of pulling down my pants, as I stood up, I was face to face with a young Prince Harry, and, I, and all I could do at that point was think, oh, pleased to meet you. So I put put my hand out that I'd just been adjusting myself. When he shook my hand, I was thinking, oh, I just can't believe I just done that. But what a way to <laughs> what a, a way to meet him. Yeah, it was a funny way. Way back to, to London with the Web Ellis Cup as well. You had a bit of a celebration of the plane. I think you got uh, quite uh, drunk with Martin Corey. Is it Will Greenwood? Yeah, we, yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's a long trip, isn't it? I mean, you can go out, <laughs> of course. You can go out on a complete bender and still be sober the time you get back. But you know, what, you know, to, to 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 finish up on, you know, that whole. That whole returning trip was completely unexpected in respect of the of what we came home to. You know, there are forty thousand people at you know Terminal Three at Heathrow. We all got uh, MBEs, OBEs, CBEs, and ninety. And then we had a million people that greeted us down in Trafalgar Square and Oxford Street. And and you know that that is phenomenal. It was amazing how being on the other side of the world it affected our country so much and it was it was it was great to see that we we had that sport because you know in in the in Australia sorry we had you know you're lonely. It wasn't until the semi-final and final that we really started to get the support over there really. So it was it was it was a lovely sort of welcome back and it was very grounding and, and back to life. And on that bus, I believe a large amount of champagne was consumed, but there was a problem because there were <laughs> there was no toilet. Yeah, that's the thing when you do an open top bus bus ride. Sorry, it was the fact that, that we didn't realise that anyone was there. We didn't want to really think, oh, we're going to do this 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 trip. You know, we're going to see one man and his dog down Oxford Street in Trafalgar Square. It's going to be embarrassing. Wasn't until we went through Marble Arch turn right down Oxford Street and we just saw everyone hanging off everywhere and then yeah there was we we'd, we had there were lots of you know massive bottles of champagne that everyone was drinking with nowhere to obviously go toilet so then they're just being on the sea of wee and champagne over the bottom <laughs> of the floor is horrible and yeah so some players I'm not going to mention any name as well were peeing in a empty champagne empty yeah we had to start yeah filling up the empty bottles yeah and one, a little bit of a pee went into Phil Greenwood's trousers. No, like Jason, it was, uh, no, it was, <laughs> I think Jason Leonard was weeing into a bottle and the horse, sorry, the horses in front stopped and then the bus stamped, slumped on his, bra- his brakes and he missed the bottle and weed at the back of Lewis Moody's leg. That was it. <laughs> as just as we're on our way to meet the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> so he met the queen with a patch with, of uh, urine. Oh, all the way up his leg. From... And it was light grey. You could see everything. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that picture because there is a picture of uh, you with the queen with the corgi. Yeah. He was yeah. sniffing around. So he probably was smelling something. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, I didn't realize they would be so smelly. But they were. I thought they would be pampered. I thought they'd be manicured, you know, everything. But they, they were stinky little things. 
<laughs> Memories met, met forever. But like you were saying afterwards, it was back to reality. And uh, you would have loved to have some time off, you know, just to take things into stock and for your body to, to recover. Because uh, obviously it was, yeah, six games in a, go, in, in a row and winning the World Cup must have done lot uh, to your system. So you, you also did uh, the Lion Tour in uh, 2001, but wasn't as great as the World Cup. No, it was nowhere near. It was it was before the the World Cup, really, and it was yeah. To, to me, I think it's a great history. I'm not too sure how it has a place in the modern game. I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm saying it needs to have some sort of shuffle round for tech players in some way. I think that he needs to have world league that's aligned. You know where we play our leagues, we play the Heineken Cups, they play their their domestic cups, play their internationals and World Cups, and they rest at the same time. But it just protects us. It protects the player, protects the game, and you know then you can then you can fit in like a Lions tour. At the moment, you're on a treadmill year after year. You have to, you don't have any break. So. You know, for me, it wasn't it wasn't the best experience I had. It was an experience, and it was an honour to play for the Lions, but it wasn't the best experience I had. Yes, and and fast forward, obviously, you did the World Cup, became World Cup winner, NBE, came back to Northampton, spent a few more years with Northampton, and decided, you know what, it's time for me uh, to try a different club, and you started playing for for Brive. Yeah, I played for Breve. Uh, that was a very different experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I I found it very difficult to go into the the the. Uh, Breve's lovely. Simon Gillen was amazing. Supporters players great. The training was yeah. different and it was less professional than being in the Premier League team. Maybe I just uh, yeah, it was a very you know. We had a lot of structure with the with the Northern Hemisphere rugby in general, you know. So it was very different. It was very difficult, but it was a great experience, and I enjoyed it. And I learned a lot about, you know, rugby and culture, yeah, which was which is great. And plus, I just yes, I just had twins, my twin girls. So it was uh, again, oh, it was very yes. tough. But I had a great time. I loved very, very a lot of very fond memories. And you still support Do I still support them? Oh yeah, always. I watch Bream yes. and Northampton. I you know, see where they are and uh, what they're doing, and now and again. But not as in I watch it really from Twitter and uh, sort of seeing if they're winning or losing. <laughs> yes, now they're winning streak brief actually. I think they're ahead right now. So they, they yeah, there's some, something good happening down there. Thanks to Simon Guillaume yeah. and, and Co. So after Brive, you moved to yeah, I moved back home. I, I had a farm, so I went from I went from there to to, to sale, and and I sort of commuted 140 miles each way to work. And but I loved it. I enjoyed I enjoyed sale. In fact, I made some very good friends there, like I do at every club. And that was the end of my career. After that, I, I retired. All right. And uh, how was life? Um, you know, I, I did have a bad transition. You know, the thing about life after sport is the fact that you have, you're not prepared. You don't have any education, further education. You know, you're there to fend for yourself. You know, sport doesn't really give you any tools to go into the big wide world, especially outside just the given sport. I became world class in something that really wasn't, that skill set wasn't transferable to, to Sibby Street. So, 
Yeah, it's, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult place to be, export. Mental health, everything's regimented, and, and you've got to try and now establish yourself in a in the, in the big wide world. And the people are very different. People take advantage of you. And it's, it is a very tough place to be. And, and, and being you know, in, in sport doesn't make everyone a gazillionaire. It doesn't make everyone, you know, that everyone falls at your feet. There's only a few sports that actually pay you a lot of money. And, and still then, that brings its own problems. So, yeah, it's, it's, it can be a very tough place to be. And after you've retired from rugby, you set yeah, up your foundation, right, yeah. Stand Up. Can you tell yeah, me yeah, more about a, more yeah, about it? What it is all about? Foundation that we fund people to do real world work and give grants out, and yeah, that's it really. It looks at uh, quality, diversity. We look at you know bullying, and uh, yeah, I mean just to highlight what bullying does long term and support those who do real world work. I found that in America, and uh, and then in 2011, and then and then opened up here in 2012. That's a very gratifying. What a great uh, organization, you know, foundation to be involved with. Absolutely, especially nowadays. And uh, I have to mention, of course, uh, Strictly yeah, Come Dancing. Strictly. Yeah, that was an experience. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. That was hard. That was hard work. Considering uh, like I that. Uh, did another show <laughs> that, which was called The Jump, and it's a skiing show, which I went on to win. But I absolutely loved it. Yes. That was amazing. That was that was a great show. That's yeah. That's lucky that you didn't break any bones because I think that was quite a, a risky show. Any former players you think should take part in strictly dancing? It's an exceptions to the rules. You know, you think oh they they'll go for that person to do it, and I think that would be good. But it's the obvious that they don't do. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see from rugby uh, that will do it. Yeah, we've had James Haskell on. Uh, I'm a celebrity to get me out of the jungle one. So it'll be interesting to see who they they pick for this one. Yeah, would you be interested? If you for were what? To be I'm picked, a celebrity. Then? I've turned it down twice. Yes. It's not really my my cup of tea. I don't blame you at all. You know, <laughs> there is so much, so much depravity you can take in terms of eating, you know, <laughs> rats or, or, or whatever. But are you still in touch with uh, um, some of no, your again, teammates? Not massively. Again, the same happened with my, my uncle George in the 66 team. You go away, get your life sorted out, make your money or try and make money or reinvent yourself. And you sort of come back together a bit further down the line, you know. So, yeah, well, we, I did keep in touch with some, but not all. Yes, fair enough. But I remember really well because I was in the crowd in 2013, November, the whole team in Twickenham, and you were all carrying the cup, and it was so nice to see all of you. I was sitting in the yeah. crowd, of course, didn't see much, <laughs> but it was amazing. And it was very, very meaningful as well because England that day was playing against Australia, during the Autumn International. But yeah, I suppose that was probably the last dinner you I, all I, had I, together. Yeah, so uh, 2023, yeah, sure we need to have another be, one. I'm sure there'll be a reunion of some sort. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I think a lot of this, because of COVID, put a lot of spanner in the works for a lot of things. We actually meant to have a 20-year a reunion for the Heineken Cup with the Saints. But, you know, we had to abandon that because of, obviously, the, the virus. So, yeah, I think a lot of things will get back on track yeah. post-virus. And if you had an advice to give to a young player 
to do well in rugby? Which advice would you give uh, him? Get a job. Oh, uh. That's it. <laughs> yes. Think about uh, post uh, post rugby. Yeah, uh, it's difficult. I mean, you're talking to someone who, who who's been there and done it, and and you know, we all we you know, I wasn't really a sporty, and and he probably won't play this anyway, but. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not a massive sport fan. Although I was, I, I was in sport. You know, the reality of it is, is you know, you, 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 you give your best time of your life in your your prime conditions to a sport, and if you do it in an amateur way, great. You know, you can mix the both, and if your job allows you to do it, you can mix the both. But To be a professional sportsman, you know, and foregoing education, further education, apprenticeships, ruffling your feathers, and things like that, is uh, and end up in your thirties with no skill set. With not, you know, then you've got 20 years really to to twenty twenty five years to make it. It's tough because you've got to start from the bottom of the ladder unless you stay in your given sport. So it's a very difficult place to be. So if you are going to go into sport, and sport has a big responsibility with this is give them something that they can work on that gives them some sort of sustainability post-sport. So education and a, an apprenticeship of some sort or learn a skill set. That, that's all that I would say. Other than that, you know, I enjoy the sport for what it is. I think it will resonate very well in the years of Damien Hopley, the uh, founder of uh, the RPA. Definitely, you know, the, the young guys these days need to think about uh, post-career. I had exactly the same feedback from yeah. Touba Lombard. He used to play for France and uh, was now the uh, Stade Francais uh, managing director. He said, those young kids spend their times on PS4. They don't realize, you know, that a rugby career just goes like that. And then you are in your 30s and you have to think about your, your, your post-career. And very finally, I promise you, I'm a bit like Sherlock Holmes here. <laughs> Not Sherlock Holmes, like oh, I forgot his name. Do you have any regrets? Is there something that you wish you could have done in no. your rugby career? I think I overachieved as it is. <laughs> Perfect. I agree with you, MB. Ben Cohen at the age of you were what 23 years old when I when I won the World Cup something like 20, that 20 yeah 25 yes. I think 24 25 25 I beg, yeah. I beg your pardon 25 years old that's that's such an amazing and now you know the fact that you are leveraging your celebrity status and be and has become an English activist you know I think you're making the world a, a better place so thank you very much no for, uh, for your time no you spend with me Ben and all the best and uh, I hope to meet you someday somewhere I don't know when don't know where but uh, oh, somewhere right. around rugby, <laughs> rugby pleasure. Marina. take it easy <laughs> take care Oh my goodness, Six Nation! What a palaver! I know, and the news has just come through, hasn't it? Yeah, so the French game is going to be postponed because one additional player has been tested COVID positive. So that means 12 players so far have been afflicted by COVID and four members of staff. Yeah, and from what I can gather, the problem is, although it hasn't been confirmed, the, the latest guy who tested positive was Weenie Antonio, the big prop, and he was training with the full squad yesterday, so, you know, basically 
every player is now now at risk and and I think it's just come to the point where the powers of be that said you know we've we've got to make a decision and the game is off yeah which is a bit sad but you know we still have it to look forward to I'm not quite sure when they're going to announce the arrangement but but I gather it's not going to be next week as was muted earlier on in the week because a lot of Scotland players of course will have to go back and play in the premiership so it could be one of those scenarios again where it's it's tied over till the end of the season. And, you know, maybe it'd be a blessing in disguise. Maybe the fans will be allowed in for for France's bid to become runners-up to Wales in the Championship. You just mentioned that Wales could win the Grand Chelem? Well, or did that miss No, mis- no, no. I think, you know, I did, of course. <laughs> I'll put the kiss of death on it now, won't it? But when you've won two, and there's, this weekend is the big one for Wales because... If we win, we get the triple crown, obviously. But then we've got Italy away. And you'd like to think Wales would win that one. And then it comes down to facing France in Paris. So we don't want to get ahead of ourselves as Welsh fans, but we can't help it. And talking of Wales, they've announced their team this morning. George North is back in for his 100th cap. Jonathan Davis back in at centre. Gareth Davis replaced at scrum half by Kieran Hardy. Excellent looking back row of Josh Navidi and Justin Tipperick. So Wales virtually at full strength and, and England have gone for the, to quote your stop phrase, the usual suspects. No changes there. Elliot Genge is, is back in. Elliot Genge? That's not Elliot Genge. Genge is back in. Decent front row with Vunapola and Sinclair. So it's going to be a real battle down in Cardiff on Saturday. And the roof, apparently, which I only found out today, has to be open. There's normally this fiasco of will it be open or will it be shut. But because of COVID, apparently the roof will be open. But the forecast looks good. Uh, sunny day with light winds. So, you know, that, that should be a cracking game. I think you might be right, you know, Wales might back the win. But only, only... If England gets a red card again. <laughs> <laughs> How cool. Oh, no, well, what are the odds on that? <laughs> what are the odds on that? That would be incredible. La Porte. That would be incredible. <laughs> and, of course, um, you know, the, the other game that's on in, in Rome. Hang on. I, I've got, before before All you right. start, I have to tell you the quote from uh, Eddie Jones. I love Eddie. He's, he's uh, such a character. <laughs> you know, he cracks me up all the time. Is very tactician as well and very single-minded. But uh, his aim this weekend is he wants to show people what the England team is capable of, keep building on the performances, and the best is yet to come from the England well, team. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's evident, isn't it, from the last two performances. If well, ever they're going to turn it on, it's a game like this, isn't it? You know, this is big stuff. Well, you know, that would be the, the third game. I think they probably picked up all their weaknesses and they've got more games in their legs. So I assume that the game will have a little bit more speed and more pace this time. Yeah. And also, you know, I hate to say this about players, but it could be last chance for Loon, saloon for people like Elliot Daly who haven't set the world alight recently. And if England were to lose... This one, you could perhaps see Eddie making some changes. I would love to see Max Malins yeah. to be given more more time. Max is such a great yeah, layer. Yeah. I, you know, I met him when he was uh, still in the academy in uh, at Saracen, and I told him, you know what, Max, you'll be in the England team. Wow. <laughs> and I was right. 
three years ago it was, but now it's got so much to offer and such so much speed. So yeah, maybe it's about time maybe for Eddie to review or to do some testing in terms of which players he could he could ask to come on mm. the pitch a bit earlier. Anyway, so let's talk about the, the other games. Yeah, well, the, the other game, of course, is Ireland against Italy in Rome. And you'd think Ireland would win that. But, you know, they're on the back of, of a couple of defeats now. So it's going to be, a, you know, a, a tough day for them, I think. But I, I would imagine they'll come through. Sexton and Murray are back. And I think, I think they make... All, all the difference for them, really. It'd be interesting to see if Italy can continue to build on the progress they've made. And it should be an interesting game and a nice sort of early afternoon warm-up before the big one in Cardiff. Only two games this weekend, but better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. And I wish all the best in their recovery yeah. to the French team, Fabien Gatier, Karim Kezal. The William Servan and other staff yeah, members, sure. plus the other team players. Guys, you know, we don't forget about you. And get well yeah. soon. Fourteen, yes. What a you know interesting weekend, wasn't it? Yes, still going on. Journey. 17, round 17. Can you tell me more about the Racing 92 versus Castra? <laughs> I'd like to, but I think I think I was. I, I don't tell me I've picked the wrong games again. You I've have. Got La, I've got La Rochelle and Stade Francais. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. I'll tell you about that. Uh, yes, yeah, tell, tell me about, about La Rochelle versus Stade Francais. Well, La Rochelle mm-hmm. 16, Stade Francais 11. Close game. Close game up on the Atlantic coast there. Uh, La Rochelle led 10 in at half-time. One try apiece. Basically, it was a conversion and penalty from Jules Plisson that made all the difference. Another yellow card for Mantera, the Argentinian. He seems to be quite a regular recipient of... Uh, I think he's getting more cards than Clinton's at the moment. But th- that, that <laughs> result puts uh, La Rochelle at the top of the table and the Stade Francais in eighth position. One thing, you know, Stade Francais is now being called Stade Francais Paris. Are they? Yes, they added Paris, so just for yeah, your information. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, it's a lovely little ground at the Stade Jean Bouin. I went there a, uh, a couple of years ago for the World 7 Series, and it's it's a lovely little stadium right next to Parc des Princes, where Paris Saint-Germain oh. playing in a lovely area of, of Paris. Smashing. We, we need to go yeah. there so I can introduce you to Thomas Lombard, who is the MD yes, of Stade Francais, yeah. will be welcome with open arms. As he was in our podcast yes. a few weeks ago, he was very loquacious. That is for sure, very talkative. Paul versus Toulon. The score was 29 versus 33. Wow. However, Paul managed to get the bonus offensive. So Paul Reiner is ranking number 12 just below Montpellier, who ranked up one uh, position from last week. So Montpellier, so uh, I was a bit disappointed. I watched the highlight between uh, Agen and Montpellier. And guess what? You know, halftime, Montp- um, Agen was, was yeah, leading. Yeah, 13-8. Yeah, I watched that yes. as well, because I thought I was supposed to be covering that one. So I've got my games wrong. All this yeah, that's the age. Don't know. worry, you know, you're, you're getting know, on a bit. Yeah, terrible, isn't it? yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah, much yes. needed win for for Montpellier. But as you say, Agen leading 
uh, halftime. And uh, yeah, your friend, Mr. Lazowski, 14 points on the boot. Well, it's about time, I would say. You know, <laughs> better late than never, Alex. But no, it's positive to see him kicking well. So five tries to yeah. Montpellier, only one try from Agen, from Rayevoux at the 31 minutes. But, you know, they, they lost it in the last yeah. 20 minutes, which was very, very sad, very heartening. I think, oh, I forgot his name, but, you know, he, he was in tears yeah. at the end of, of the game because in his question of when, when are they going to start winning? Know, six. Because now they've reached the very sad record of losing. Yeah, all 16. Games. 16 losses out of 16. Yes. Do you know which team was worse? No, Perpignan. Really. Perpignan was the team, so now they, they took over yeah. you know, the, yeah, the sad I see trophy. some record, isn't it? But Montpellier climb up above Poe now to 11th, so it's dizzy. Dizzy heights for them. They'll be getting a nosebleed so high up the table. I'm not sure whether I was supposed to cover this, but probably not. Claremont, 73-7-3. Bayonne, 3. I mean, incredible. What an incredible score. When I saw that, I thought, no, it must be a misprint. 24-3 at half time, yes. 10 tries. But Camilo Lopez kicked 11 kicks out of 11, 10 conversions and one penalty. Japanese fullback Matsushima is wonderful player to watch. He was in fine form, but I say it again, 73-3. So Clemon up to fourth in the table and Bayon second from bottom now. But oh. in the defense of Bayon, the loads of players are injured. So he might have explained some of their poor performance. But during second half time he felt like they, they, they gave up. And the coach, you know, apologize on behalf of the team to their supporters because obviously that was that was a very appalling yeah, yeah. defeat. So let's wait until until next weekend. Bayonne, Bayonne is uh, is hovering towards the end. Bayonne is number thirteen right now, but they they still have two matches to yeah, to catch yeah. up. So. Like Ajan, Ajan's got two more matches to to catch up, and I really, really, really hope they're going to have a win soon, just for the, for yeah. their mental health, for their sake. Lyon versus Toulouse, Lyon. So two tries from Lyon, seven seven minutes try. Nakaitishi, apologies for the pronunciation, thirty four. And Naikitishi did a double at 53 minutes. He scored another try. Toulouse, you had a double from Delib, who scored a try at the 14 minutes and then the 30 minutes. Altogether, halftime, it was 23 for Lyon, 17 to Toulouse. And the final score was 31 to 23. So mm. Lyon, Lyon is ranked seven in the top 14 table. Racing 92 versus Cast, you were supposed to review that game. But my age uh, hey, caught up with me. What can I say? Uh, yes, yeah, oh, you had something else to do. That. You had to, you, you had oh, to wash yeah, your hair. You know, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so much hair. Trouble is, you know, I walk upstairs now <laughs> to get something. I'm at that age where I get to the top of the stairs and I can't remember what I've come upstairs for, you know, which is. It's, Don't which, worry. Which is really, really sad. Happens, it happens to me all the time. I, it's happened to me since I was 13 years old. So don't worry, well, this is state. <laughs> <laughs> so the final score was 29 to 20, Racing won. And, and right now, uh, Racing and La Rochelle heading the top 14, which is great, with 58 points, bearing in mind that uh, 
La Rochelle has got one game behind. I am. Are you yes, still there? I'm hanging on your every word. Okay. Um, yeah, just, uh, just thinking whether no, you're still there. No, 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 no. I haven't quite got to that stage. I'm forgetful, <laughs> but I can stay awake. <laughs> I've got that. I've got that joy to look forward to. This week, there's a few catch-up games, aren't there? On Friday night, Toulon face Bayonne, and then on Saturday, Ajan face Clermont, and the big game, first versus second, La Rochelle against Toulouse. So that that should be a cracker. Definitely one to watch. I mean, I want to watch the highlight until we can watch top fourteen in the UK. The top fourteen. Yeah. So number seven is Lyon, as I mentioned to you. Eight, Stade Français, Paris, number 40. They are getting there. Brive, Brive is very much on a winning streak. But you know what you need to have when you watch Brive? And that's one of mine. They crash play helmet. against uh, Bordeaux Blague. No, crash helmet. You need to have a, a good pacemaker. Yeah. Heart attack. And I was very pleased Brive to win because Christophe Oyos was a bit, um, how I put it that way? Was a grumpy? Bit, uh, grumpy by any chance? Sarcastic. <laughs> No, sarcastic before no, they played no. before they played the game. Yeah, I did say it was a fight, it was a test of their own fight whenever they played against Brive and and so on. But uh, Brive was in a fighting spirit at the start. Aimé de Dominic, they, they led 19-10 at halftime. And yes, they finalized the score in the last yeah. minute. So the f- overall score was 25 to 23. So well done to Brive. So next week, uh, you said, do we have some Yeah, as I say, Friday, Toulouse, uh, Toulon against Bayonne. Saturday, Agen, Clermont and La Rochelle against Toulouse. They're the only top 14 games this weekend. OK, so you won't forget which ones you have to review next week. No, I'll, do, I'll probably do all of them, won't I? And that'll be easier. <laughs> then I can't forget. I'll do all of them, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> French lesson. I'm still awake. It's all right. Don't worry. I am awake. I promise. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Let me think. How do you say, or an easy one, Six Nation Tournament? Six Nation Tournoi. 50% right. (laughs) You just have to swap a few Tournoi Six Nation. No, 75% right. Hang on, look, there's on. only another way, isn't there? <laughs> no, 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 you forgot a few things. It's Le Tournoi ah, des Six Nations. Bon de douche. Joke, do you oh, have one? So you've been too busy washing no, your no, hair yeah, as well. Forget, so. forget things. <laughs> I know, I promised no. one, didn't I? And I haven't. Yeah, the trouble is, you've, you've used all the good ones. <sighs> <laughs> I, I did. I, I did go to the doctor and I said, "Can you give me something for wind?" And he gave me a kite. I tell you what, I've got some Heineken Cup European news. It's been a bit of a shambles, hasn't it? Because the the group stages were curtailed, but they finally come up with a plan and organised the last sixteen of the Heineken Cup and the the Challenge Cup. So. The eight highest teams in Pool A and B of the Heineken Cup qualify. So that's Leinster, Wasps, Rochelle, Scarlets, Edinburgh, Toulon, Sale, Lyon, Racing, Toulouse, Munster, Claremont, Bristol, Exeter and Gloucester. They all qualify for the last 16. Now, the teams that won two games will be given home advantage. Now, that's two games they actually won, not were awarded 
for COVID purposes. So Racing, Leinster, Wasps, Bordeaux and Munster definitely got a home tie in the last 16. They'll be played on the 2nd, 3rd and 4th of April. Though The actual ties will be drawn on the 9th of March. In the Challenge Cup, London Irish Ospreys Leicester, they're guaranteed uh, home. And it's the top eight of the Challenge Cup pool stages, plus the eight that didn't qualify from the Champions Cup. So <laughs> London Irish Ospreys, Leicester, Cardiff Blues, Zebre, Agen, Benetton, Newcastle, Ulster, Connacht, Northampton, Bath, Montpellier, Dragons, Harlequins and Glasgow all qualify for the last 16 of the Challenge Cup. So that draw will also be made on the 9th of March. And the quarterfinal draw will also be made the same day. So just to give you a rough idea of the dates, the quarterfinals are intended to be played on the 9th, 10th and 11th of April. The semifinals on the 30th of April and the 1st and 2nd of May. And of course, the finals in Marseille on the 21st and the 22nd of May. So hopefully that's clarified things. As I say, the draw for the last 16 on the 9th of March. So the... Heineken Cup and the Challenge Cup will be up and running again and uh, some exciting games ahead in that tournament. Okay, sounds fascinating. Yes, yeah, very lengthy. <laughs> and talking about yeah. a joke, yes, talking about a joke, I've got one and it's really been in relation to the World Cup. So two Tongan, two Fijian and someone walk into a bar. The barman says, well done on your selection for the New Zealand World Cup squads, lads. <laughs> yes, very, very true, very <laughs> true, yeah. And guess what? It leads us nicely to tomorrow, 26th of February, in which there will be the RWC 23. I thought it was last week. I know, week, I remember you messaging so me and said it. I'm watching at 11 o'clock. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it must be a time travel or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> And then I realized I saw Jean, Jean Dujardin. I thought, oh, he's back again. Oh, Macron is back again. <laughs> never mind. Because I never saw it live you know, on the 14th of December. So that was the reason. So what's happening oh, tomorrow, yeah, Mike? I, I, I feel like a kid because I'm so excited. Because tomorrow, we've had the pool draw, obviously. But tomorrow is the match draw. So we know you'll know where your country is going to be playing, what dates. It's so exciting. From a Welsh point of view, I'm thinking... Wow, could could I be in Marseille? Could I be in Bordeaux? Could I be in Paris? So, you know, give people something really good to focus on now, 2023, planning your travel, planning your hotels, planning your friends who you're going to meet up with. So the draw is tomorrow. I think it's 11 o'clock, but you better check. I think it's 11 o'clock UK time. It will be live on the RWC 2023 Facebook page. And yes, exciting times. Definitely. And France is such a beautiful oh, country. Absolutely. You know, oh, wherever you travel, I mean, you've got Bordeaux, you've got Marseille, obviously Paris, Lille, yeah. I believe. And the, and the great well. thing, as you know, the, uh, you know, the TGV is just such a wonderful experience going between the length and breadth of France by train at high speed. It's, it's just a fabulous experience and um, I was over there for the Football World Cup in 1998 and went to Nantes, Bordeaux, Paris and you know the, the French I have to say host World Cup tournaments of oval and uh, round ball games they're just absolutely brilliant at it it was absolutely seamless 
And, you know, I'm convinced France 2023 is going to be even better because, you know, France will have a team that, that has a chance of lifting the trophy and, and how the French people will get behind them for that. And I think it's just going to be a, a fabulous tournament. And tomorrow is an important step on that journey. Yes, I cannot wait as well. Talking about another event, at the grand age of 38 years old, Dan Carter finally hang up his boots because our podcast is called French Rugby Connection I'm only going to focus on his French yeah. experience he played in the top 14 for four years within that time he played 52 games and he scored watch this space 498 wow. points and he won two Brennus which is the top 14 championship I think it was with Racing the thing he was the protégé of Andrew Mertens Mertz who was yeah. on our podcast a few uh, months ago so yeah he can say thank you to, to Mertens as well <laughs> we taught, taught him the rope of the trade yeah. <laughs> great player but uh, no it's, it's, yeah it's been a, a magnificent player I think it's a, 38 is a good age to retire yeah. so that's so lucky I mean, he could have pushed it to uh, to 43, like that NFL player. I forgot oh, his name. Oh, yeah, I oh, know, the quarterback. Yeah, I can't think of his name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, da- yeah, yeah, Carter's but, uh, just such a class player, isn't he? And uh, if anybody has got Netflix or uh, there's a wonderful documentary on him where he goes back to his hometown in New Zealand. And, you know, what a lovely level-headed guy he seems to be. Yeah, very, very adaptable. And, you know, he was the highest-paid rugby player when he was playing at uh, Racing Meto. He was paid at 1 million yeah. euro. And uh, people are asking to Jackie Lorenzenti, who is the president of Racing 92, you know, why so much? And uh, he said, you know what? Having Dan Carter really brings some yeah. revenues and it's a bargain to have him. And they did well, except, except one thing I saw Dan Carter playing in Lyon when they were playing against uh, Saracen in 2016. And they, are, they still haven't got their hands on the Heineken yeah. Cup. So I'm really hoping that Racing at 92 is going to be able to get that that cup, that uh, yeah. elusive cup. So Any other business? Yeah, there's a little bit of British Lions news, as you probably know, and as the listeners know, the tour they're supposed to be touring South Africa this summer, but that's not going to be possible because South Africa... South Africa's vaccination program for COVID is is sort of way behind, so chances of touring are are impossible. There's talk of it being played in Australia, but more recently, with a lockdown roadmap and with the way the UK vaccination program is going, the Lions series looks more likely to be played in the UK. And there's also talk of government financial backing for this. So hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll hear a bit more about that. But so Lions series could be taking place in the UK this summer, which would be which would be pretty impressive. That would be great. Yeah. We'll have to go there. Definitely, you know, so summer rugby, Lion too, and and another summer rugby in 2023, where we'll be uh, hiring a camper yeah, van yeah. and do our podcast <laughs> from there. <laughs> The only other thing I want to mention, as this is a French sort of centric podcast, big weekend for French referees this weekend. Both Six Nations games are being refereed. Italy against Ireland is being refereed by Mathieu Reynal and Wales against England by Pascal Gauzet. So, you know, great credit to the French referees who always 
in recent years have been top of the pile. Perfect yeah. English as well, which is, which is great. Here we go, the end of another exciting and enthralling <laughs> French business connection. French business. Oh, I know it's been that, it's been that sort of week, French... hasn't it? It's been chaos. You know, I literally don't think I've put my phone down about to sleep because you know the news is just coming through thick and fast. So hopefully a weekend or certainly a Saturday of rugby, and you know we can give a chance to catch some breath. Okay, so let's give us some potential scores. So England, oh, Wales. I mean, oh, I beg your pardon, Wales. I don't know. I want to see. I hate predicting Wales because. It always goes wrong. I mean, I, I, I think we're, you know, I actually think Wales can win. Whether they will win is another thing. I got a feeling England. This would probably be the game where England will raise their game and play well. Without, I think, if there was a seventy-five thousand crowd in Cardiff, I'd be backing Wales. But I think it's going to be very close, and I think there could be just one score in it. But and I'm hoping that will go in Wales's favour, and they get their 22nd Triple Crown. What do you think you about Wales-England, then, as a neutral? As a neutral, like England, you know, how close I live to backshot and the tr- Yeah, and well, right, well you're as nearest so to neutral as we're going to get <laughs> in this podcast. I would say 20, 26-18. Okay, all you like Welsh that. listeners, just remember this, okay, for next week's pod. Italy, Ireland, well, Ireland probably win it, but I would love to see Italy. It's difficult. Or at least if they could reduce the amount yeah, they lose, yeah. that would be yeah. a move in the right direction. If it was Ireland 33 and Italy 24, I think it would be healthier score because they've got the eager, the passion, you know, they just have to... Yeah, hanging I there. I don't care about well, I mean, Wales can win 3-0. Yeah. That will do me. I'm not worried about the score. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, have a great yeah, thank day, you. my friend. thank you. And to all the listeners, and, uh... have a great weekend and, you know, stay safe. We're nearly at the end of all this and, you know, all the very best to you all. Nearly there, nearly there, my friend. Au revoir. Okay, au revoir. La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-tac, pic-pic. Glou, 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 font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding-ding-dong. Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum. Tout avec lui dit boum. Et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille.